To all supernatural scrutineers and paranormal postulants, I bid you welcome. You are about to listen to the Occultaria of Albion audio tales. What is the Occultaria of Albion, you inquire? Is it a hauntological exploration of strange phenomena? Is it a world where the abnormal and arcane exist in abundance? The answer to these questions is yes and yes. Explore our publications and other material by going to occultariaofalbion.com. Now, lie back and relax, if you can. is quite a special audio tale because it's an extract from the brand new paperback book that's coming out on the 2nd of December. The book's title is Earth to Earth and you're about to hear a small slice of part one. Listen at the end to find out how you can order your copy of Earth to Earth. Part one. How to banish a demon. The wind whirled. In the darkness, as it struck and danced against the immeasurable edges and angles of the cliff face, it sang in a duet with the white noise of the North Sea waves. Up on the cliff top, set back from its brambled edge, on a bench, a woman sat alone in the orange glow of a nearby lamppost. She listened to the night her grey bobbed hair just visible above the collar of an old wax jacket that smelt of earth and bonfires and layers of long-dried Molinard Habanita, her favourite perfume. A man appeared on the footpath and stepped into the cone of light, quickly sitting down beside the woman. He gave a theatrical toss of his scarf and tucked his hands into the duffel coat he wore with an equally theatrical shiver though he wasn't feeling the cold. So, you decided to come, the woman said, not looking at him. What choice did I have? You knew there would be consequences to your actions. She sighed and turned her head to him. You acted like a bloody fool, so don't be sour with me. I'm not sour. I'm on some desolate clifftop in Norfolk. He checked his watch. And it's long after midnight. Her gaze returned to the cliff edge. It had to be somewhere out of the way. Besides, even I can get sick of being in a stuffy office, Jack. She crossed her legs, and he noticed she was wearing a pair of old wellies. And having to manage you lot, she went on. Honestly, unwitches can be as bad as a herd of demonically possessed ducks squabbling over a slice of blood loaf. It's actually a brace of ducks, 
unless of course they're on water. Then it's a, oh shut up, shut up and listen. Jack tucked his chin down into his scarf. You made a fool out of yourself and the guild. It's thanks to you and your histrionic, ridiculous and impertinent actions that... It was a party! Did you see the way the Green Man Society was behaving? Did you hear what they said to the daughter of the Lord Chief Shaman? Shocking. That was you, Jack. You were the one out of control. I've never seen such a display of wanton, witlessness and contumelious derangement. Unwitches receive enough disdain as it is. Then, at the Mr. Gog Ball, of all occasions, you behave like that. It's unbelievable. I'd come straight from tackling a pylon poltergeist outside Milton Keynes. I was exhausted. He cleared his throat. And I realise now I should have had more to eat before I started drinking. Look, Zelementra, I'll apologise to the whole lot of them, but don't banish me from the guild. She held a hand up to silence him. I told you to be quiet and listen. As much as you behave like a fool, there's more to it than just your bad behaviour. There's something rotten in the Unwitcher Guild, a bad apple somewhere. Although you can act foolishly at times, I believe on this occasion it was manipulation. I think your drink was spiked. What? By another Unwitcher? For the first time Jack looked directly at Zelementra and saw the worry behind her eyes. She nodded. It's possible. I've had my suspicions for a while, and what happened at the ball confirms it. Someone is out to make mischief. Dangerous mischief. And you're going to help me find out who it is. You're assuming it isn't me, then? That's a relief. Zelementra smiled faintly. You may be a pain in the runes, but I know I can trust you. Your behaviour the other night has proved that, at least. There's no way you would have behaved like that without some outside interference. Even for you it was extreme. I don't think you were fully in control of yourself. Perturbed, Jack pulled the scarf from his neck. I knew it just didn't feel right, but I was expecting you to zap me into the void for it, or, at the very least, put me behind a desk at our Doncaster offices. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm sending you to the East Midlands. Mercia Quadrant 5. Quadrant 5? That's in the middle of nowhere, he protested. Isn't it? Just outside the market town of Hexhorn. I need the other unwitches to think I have punished you sufficiently. You need to disappear for a while. Lay low. Hexhorn? Is that even a real place? Zelementra fished in one of her large coat pockets and pulled out a small piece of paper. Here's the address. You're going to be living in an old Nissen hut on a farm. It's run by a friend, Mrs. Ross. She's expecting you. With indignation, Jack stood up from the bench. Surely there's something more I can be doing. Sit down, Zelementra commanded. Her unwitcher sat. For now, I need you to do nothing. Lay low. You will hear from me. When? When the time is right. Jack scuffed his boot on the bare dirt. So that's it. And now, I suppose, you're going to disappear again in a puff of glitter. She touched his arm gently. Let me investigate what is going on. Someone is trying to disrupt the Unwitcher Guild. As soon as I know more, you will hear from me. Keeping out of the way is what I need you to do, for now. 
He sighed. Fine. There's a bus stop about a mile that way on the main road. There's a bus that can take you to King's Lynn. You can work it out from there. Of course. Zelementra stood and took a step from the bench. She turned to face Jack and raised her arms out at her sides. The wind seemed to fall silent for a moment. Just as a smile appeared upon her face, there was a crackle and she vanished, leaving behind a cloud of sparks that gradually faded until there was only the scent of her perfume remaining. Jack thought about everything his boss had just told him and listened to the anxious sea somewhere below. Wearily, he got up and began walking back along the path. Right, so, another exciting adventure begins. Brilliant. When Becky Boskill arrived at Hexhorn's Marketplace, there were no other cars parked up, just a council van with its engine idling whilst a man in high-vis trousers and jacket emptied the litter bins. She parked opposite the chemist, feeling nervous. After switching off her engine, she tapped the air freshener that hung over her rear-view mirror in the hope that its aroma of coastal breeze might calm her, but it had lost its scent months ago and only smelt of cardboard. Picking up her voice recorder, she took a breath and pressed its red button. Right, I've just parked and it's 5.45am by the clock on the dashboard, which is an hour and 25 minutes slow, so it's actually 7.05am. Shit, and I've just realised I've left my notepad on the kitchen table. Bugger. She slapped her forehead. Never mind, I'm due to meet Jeff Pierce at the pop-in cafe in the marketplace in Hexhorn. I've left a note explaining this, also on the kitchen table, for someone to find in case he turns out to be a proper weirdo, which I'm, I'm sure he isn't. Anyway, I'm already five minutes late, so here I go. She clicked off the recorder. Like all good greasy spoons, the pop-in had tables with PVC gingham tablecloths, local radio playing from a portable stereo behind the counter, and the warm fog of fried food hanging over everything. On the walls were faded photographs of Hexhorn Marketplace in the 1970s. In the photos it looked somehow the same, but somehow different. A woman in a ketchup stained tabard walked over and plonked a plate in front of Jeff Pierce with the simple report, full English. He nodded and immediately unsheathed his knife and fork from their napkin. Didn't think you'd show up. Thanks for the breakfast, he said to Becky, who sat opposite with a mug of tea. It's really not a problem, she replied. Aren't you going to order something? Their bacon sarnies are bloody good. She picked up her pen. Er, uh, no, I'm actually vegetarian. Are you happy for me to record our conversation? Makes no difference to me, Jeff started eating. Great, she clicked the red button of the recorder. You said when I spoke to you on the phone something had happened that no one would believe. Something terrifying? That's right. Maybe first of all you could tell me a little about yourself, then how you came to have this experience. I'm not lying, you know. He stabbed at a fried egg. No, of course. I'm just after a bit of background, Mr. Pierce. Call me Jeff. 
With anyone I talk to, Jeff, I, I start out from the premise that they are sincere about what they tell me, and so, therefore, it is true, more or less. I see. He popped a piece of black pudding in his mouth. To be honest, you're the first person that's gotten in touch. I'm just starting out with all this, interviews and recording and such. Jeff nodded. Is that why you're writing notes in the back of a Haynes manual for a 1982 Volkswagen Polo? Becky winced. She turned to see if any of the other patrons were paying attention to them. No one was. Please, just tell me a bit about yourself and what actually happened to you. He took a slip of tea and thought for a moment. Well, my name's Jeff, a Capricorn, if that helps. And I used to be a banker in London. I jacked that in a few years ago. And why was that? There was the crash in 08. And after that, I started drinking pretty heavy. Had a sort of breakdown. Eventually, I decided to get away from the city and get back to something true. I'd grown up round here, you see. With what money I had, I moved back and bought a Land Rover, which I sort of live in most of the time these days. I get by with a few odd jobs here and there. I've got all I need to be happy enough. Becky reassessed the wiry and dishevelled man in front of her and tried to picture him in a suit and tie and not a jumper with holes and an army jacket. He took another mouthful of tea and then got back to work on his breakfast. Okay, so tell me what happened last week, she said with her pen poised. As I say, I live in my landy a lot of the time. At night I usually find a quiet lane and park up. I use a few spots. Car parks are never safe and there's often the risk of doggers and boy racers. Of course, I know a lot of back roads. And it was at such a spot that you saw... I don't know what it was, part animal, part demon. Jeff sat back and rubbed the grease from his moustache. Becky looked at her recorder to make sure it was running. Demon? It came from out of the trees, almost running, but not quite. At first I thought it was a deer, but then I realised it was stood upright, on two legs. It was humanoid, but with a pair of antlers. Its skin, I couldn't tell, other than it was dark, maybe fur, it glinted in the moonlight. And what did you do? I froze. The thing came toward the landy. It started pushing at it with its antlers. I could hear it growling and sniffing the air. Then I saw its face. He stared intently at Becky, but he didn't see her. He was seeing the beast. What did it look like? It was the eyes. They were human eyes, like a human who had lost his soul. All Becky had managed to write in the car manual was the word demon. Now she added an exclamation, then a question mark. I swear to you, there is a beast out there, roaming the woods and the fields. I'm going back, tonight. Come with me. If it returns, you'll see it for yourself. Tonight? There's still a three-quarter moon, and the sky should be clear. Oh, I'm supposed to be going to Zumba with Laura tonight. I thought you wanted to explore this stuff. That's what your flyer said. That's why I got in touch. Becky closed the manual. I do. I want to explore. I'll make up an excuse. Laura's not that keen anyway. Tonight then, we can meet in the marketplace and I'll drive us to the spot. Right, yeah, no problem. The smell of fried food suddenly began to make Becky feel nauseous. She took a big swig of her tea. Bring a flask, Jeff told her. 
she nodded, and put something strong in it. We'll be glad of it. Becky spent the day moving between emotions. In one moment it was excitement, the next it tipped into anxiety, pushed by questions like, what are you doing driving into nowhere with a strange man? How will you cope with coming face to face with a demon? Do demons even really exist? By lunchtime her boss, Graham Colby, could see that she was distracted and agitated about something. He thought that if she wanted to get a head start on the following week's audit for both the service station and vehicle sales for Colby's garage, then it might help to refocus her. And he was right, an afternoon of spreadsheets did have a mildly sedative effect. By 8 that evening she was back in the marketplace, dressed in warm outdoor gear and with a backpack that contained a thermos flask and this time her notebook. Jeff appeared in his battered green Land Rover. How do? he said as she got into the warm rattling machine and then off they drove into the darkness of farmland and back roads. He took them to the location of his previous encounter with the strange creature, all the while reassuring Becky. I'll be ready for it this time. If that thing returns, I'm ready for it. They parked, the engine fell silent and the waiting began. It wasn't long before Becky's eyes began to grow heavy. Oh, what's the time? She said, jolting from the sleep that had gradually crept up on her. Just after midnight. Jeff's eyes remained fixed on the windscreen. I think it's time we had that coffee you brought. Becky stirred and took the flask from her bag. Here, I don't want any. I should keep a clear head. Suit yourself. What time are we staying until? It's just that my boss wants me to go in early tomorrow and... <laughs> he spat a mouthful of liquid over the steering wheel. That's bloody awful. What did you put in it? Coffee and rhubarb gin. It was all I had, and you said you wanted something hard. I meant whiskey or rum. The whiskers of his beard and even his eyebrows had droplets of coffee peppered over them. I've got some napkins in my bag, she told him. Did you hear that? They both froze. The noise repeated. From outside there was a low sort of grumbling which turned into a growl. Look! Becky grabbed Jeff's arm. Something stood at the edge of the field. I told you, it's looking this way. My God, the thing must be nearly ten feet. Do you see its antlers? It, it's looking at us, Jeff. Oh my God, Jeff! What should we do? Jeff reached behind and from underneath a blanket produced a shotgun. Get out and be ready to run. It's not getting away this time. She tumbled from the Land Rover, falling face down into a patch of mud and rotten leaves. Becky did not register the cold, only the smell of the earth and the noise of the beast. It was moving closer. Once back on her feet, she saw that Jeff was standing between the beams of the headlights, walking steadily into the dark toward the creature. Maybe you should get out of here, he told her, raising the shotgun. Before she could answer, the beast had leapt into the light and was all snarls and steam and coiled energy, and Jeff was nothing but a twig in front of it. There was something animal and not animal about the beast. It seemed to flicker 
for just a moment from a thing with heat and mud and fur to nothing but a silhouette of red, a shape that glowed rouge like stained glass. And then, in the next instant, the beast with its breath and teeth and antlers was back. Becky couldn't fathom what she saw, but the twist in her stomach and the sensation born from a deep and ancient part of her brain told her to be truly afraid. She ran. She turned and ran, and even when she heard Jeff scream, she did not stop running. It was into darkness she ran. Will Jack manage to lay low in Mercia Quadrant 5? Will Becky escape the demon? And what has happened to Jeff? Find out by reading the rest of Earth to Earth, A Beginner's Guide to Unwitching, the very first paranormal paperback from the Occultaria of Albion. Order your copy now at occultariaofalbion.com Series 4 of As Yet Unexplained will premiere in November. Over the course of the series we will examine some of the most well-known and enigmatic tales of the strange, paranormal and unexplained. If you are interested in the paranormal then this show is for you. This podcast will explore UFO sightings, ghost stories, folklore murder, historical mysteries, and unexplainable phenomena. Essentially, these are the stories of the strange and unexplained. This series, we will be looking at the Charles Walton witchcraft murder, the Westall incident, the Loveland Frogman, the ghosts of Raynham Hall, and our two-part episode that looks into the horrors of the Highgate Vampire. The podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Please consider liking, subscribing, sharing, or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts.